Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your hosts, Austin Ye and... And Mayu. What's going on, everybody? Austin, my man, what's going on with you? Yeah, this is always the most challenging question of the week because it's trying to keep it fresh, but it's always kind of the same thing with the twist yeah. on it, right? Like, it's it's just the entrepreneur life. Um, I guess to give you some perspective on the wholesaling side, we are setting up key performance indicators and we're pretty late in the game in setting up kpis um What's a, what is a kpi for wholesaling is it just like I, number of offers you make or like no so you take yeah i mean you got you got to ultimately treat it like a business and in a business there's always different departments or what do you call it yeah divisions departments right there's like marketing there's yeah. sales there's finance and each respective department should have kpis to track whether they are performing or not so on the sales side, a lot of it is the sales funnel, right? So it's going to be how many leads did you get? Um, how many, well, how many like mailers did you send out or how much did you spend on marketing? How many leads did you get? How many of them were qualified? Um, how many of them did you go to an appointment for? How many contracts were given out? How many contracts were signed, right? And just like the yeah. sales. So you can kind of pick apart where things are falling, right? Because if I can spend less dollars, but get the same amount of leads, maybe yeah. I am spending it better in different lead sources or in an area that generates more leads, right? Um, or if I have a ton of leads, but I'm getting no offers on it, maybe my qualification is too strict. I don't know, whatever the case is, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can kind of see where things fall apart. On the disposition side, it's more so like how many responses are you getting? What's the average wholesale fee? Things of that nature. And on the finance side, it is like working capital. It's your metrics, right? Working capital net profit margin, marketing dollar spent. Um, but we're we're in the middle of setting up KPIs on our CRM system, um, yeah. which is Salesforce is what we're using. And uh, yeah, I mean, once we have that up and running, we're going to be keeping track of that. And hopefully, obviously, like that, that's better to measure our goals to, towards getting to our business. Because right now we're looking at things retroactively through financials. But like financials are a picture that happened to the past and it's a bit too late to change, you know, to make changes. So we want to look at things on a week to week basis. But that's what's going on right now, um, I guess, on the wholesale side and more of the usual. Like we sent out a couple of wholesale deals um, and we have some tentative offers. Things are still going sight unseen if it's the right deal at the right price. But on the higher echelon, more expensive deals, um, it, it's it's a bit more tougher to unload self uh, sight unseen. Right. Um, but that's kind of what I've been seeing, what I've been noticing. How about you, man? What's going on with you? Um, I don't know if you have questions for me. Do you have questions for me? <laughs> no, no, that, that was good, man. It was good to hear the indicators. I think uh, uh, you're building out like an actual business where you guys are trying to scale with like multiple employees and like, you know, you're, you're just building out systems and processes for a business, right? So it makes a lot of sense. Um, on my end, the Nineplex is closing on Tuesday. Um yeah, it's just I've just had issues on that with private financing, but at this point we're kind of just like you know what we're just gonna uh, I'm just gonna close it in cash and then refinance to private uh, just to improve my leverage on that one. But um, yeah, we just went through like multiple lawyers. One lawyer just said he was too busy, and then the next one said I don't insurance gave them some issues with like value fraud stuff. Like I have no idea what it actually means, but I was just like you know what it's probably just easier for me to just close this and then refinance to private after I like have possession of it. Um, and then, yes. Yeah, so, so now it's just a matter of the problem is like when you, like, I think at our state, you probably have like money in like so many different bank accounts, right? Mm -hmm. So whenever it's like, okay, I got to move a lot of money into one thing. It's like, you literally have to go to like five banks and like five. And then now you're looking like you're doing some fraud shit. Yeah. Right. So, so, <laughs> so now I got to start getting that shit done this week. So that's not like all on one day. Cause I'm sure something's going to pop up. Um, yeah, and it takes like five days to start, yeah. like, you know, if, if you're across around. multiple financial institutions. Yeah. Back when we were buying aggressively in 2020, I still remember I went into CIBC and um, one day I'd like pull out a check for like 50 grand from like a joint, our joint account. And then 
I'd, I'd be depositing it and then like depositing it back and like pulling out another one and so much shit. And CIBC basically just like started like giving me so much trouble for like pulling out like just one bank draft. They'd like make me like sit down and talk to the manager and like shit like that. I was like, oh, fuck. I understand it at the same time, you know, like yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, I, that's kind of sketchy to be pulling our large sums and depositing it again. And then we're yeah. like, you know, like it's just what's going on here. It needs to make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, on that topic, I guess this week our guest is Jeremy McGraw. I'll just give everyone a high level. Jeremy is a realtor that myself and Austin have used quite a bit in Windsor. He's definitely uh, a very knowledgeable real- realtor. There's a lot I didn't know about him. I had no idea that Jeremy lived in, uh, where was it, Port Perry or something like that? I had no idea he lived in the GTA or surrounding areas uh, before moving out to Oshawa. But he's got his own investment assets. We talked a little bit about the Windsor local market. I, I and there's pretty juicy opportunities, which we'll obviously get into in the podcast. You stole my line, man. I was just going to say, I posted a story about this like a couple of days ago. I think. Um, but I just like me and Austin were talking last week about how right now in the Windsor market, it looks like there's like legit opportunities. And I was like, nah, man, like it's probably probably just listed stupid low. And then they're just trying to get it like stupid high of an asking price. But it sounds like based on our conversation with Jeremy as well, like conditional offers are back, which is always great because you can actually make like more aggressive offers and more frequently when you can make them conditional. And there just seems to be a lot more opportunity on the market. So if anyone's interested in that market, definitely check out this episode and then uh, reach out to Jeremy as well. Hello, everyone. We are joined with Jeremy McGraw. Jeremy, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you jumping on, man. Yeah, Jeremy. So, so myself and Austin know you quite well. We've done a number of deals together at this point. Um, but for our that. guests and our audience, uh, why don't you give everyone a high-level introduction about yourself and, and kind of your investing journey as well today? Uh, born and raised in Windsor. Um, spent my first 12, 13 years in Windsor here. My family had to relocate due to job opportunities. Uh, my, my dad was a General Motors worker. So we had to go to the Oshawa area so that he could basically stay employed and have a pension and an income pretty much and provide for my family there. So I, I moved back around 2016 to the Windsor area. Prior to that, I spent 10 years in sales since I was 16 there to about 20, you know, 26-ish. Um, I was doing different kind of different things, uh, working in the, uh, basically cutting into sales. Um, I was at, at the time, when I first started off, I was selling cell phones at Walmart, like 18, 19 years old kind of thing, right? So, and then it kind of progressed from there. Um, but basically, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I started looking into real estate around, I would say about 18, 19 years old. Um, well, it's my one and only semester in university there. One of my friends or someone I met at the university, basically they were our college university, we would say, but, uh, they were doing some investing. Their family was, they were buying buildings in Toronto. They were doing speculation. I said, Oh, that's kind of interesting. Right. And I didn't have someone back in Windsor, one of my family members, Kathleen Serba, who basically I got my start with that. She was a realtor down here as well. So I figured, you know what? I have a couple different opportunities. It's a great career. So I got a little bit more into uh, commission sales uh, prior, got my confidence up there, learned a little bit more of the tricks of the trade. And then when I felt I was very, very comfortable, I spent about a year and a half doing my courses, moved back here um, probably at 24 and jumped right into full-time real estate, stopped everything I did, spent about five, six months relearning some of the streets that you know were new from when I moved back. and then hopped right in there. So the reason why I moved back to Windsor from the Oshawa area was at the time, um, houses there, my parents, I think they were selling their house for like 550. I'm like, well, 550 for a house is insane. How am I supposed to like buy a house at 550? I can go to Windsor in 2016 and buy that exact same house for like $250,000. You know what I mean? And the funny thing was when we moved away, this was in 2004, that same house in Oshawa, Port Perry area, that's where I was living in Port Perry, that house was like $300,000, where in Windsor was two fifty. dollars So what happened was the Oshawa, Port Perry, the Toronto market jumped so drastically while Windsor was going in at like just bare minimum increases, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not going to say that I'm a, I'm a genius. I'm not going to say anything like that. I just, we just timed the market. I came down here at the right time was able to get in with properties at the right price point and we just kind of built from there. I'm just curious. So 2004, when you guys left and you guys came back in uh, 2016, mm-hmm. how much mm-hmm. did the market change from 04 to 
2016 because we know around uh, 08, Great 09, question. there was like the huge lull in Windsor, right? And things weren't looking too well. When we were thinking about moving back originally, I was talking to my parents and I wanted to get really into real estate. And I wanted to get into investing as well. I told my parents, I'm like, hey, why don't we just buy two houses in South Windsor? At the time, we could have picked the houses up in South Windsor for like $170,000 each. This was 20, uh, we'll say 2015, 2016 kind of thing, right? Because we started looking around, I want to say 2014. And then kind of 2015, 2016, kind of watching the market, my parents were trying to figure out where they wanted to be and move back, right? Obviously, having to relearn some of the areas where we were gone for 12 years. Family was still here. We still visited very regularly, but still 12 years is 12 years. So this was a thing here where my parents bought their house for 300000 I want to say, in Port Perry. Prior to that, we actually used to live in a small town called Little Britain. We picked up a house there because it was in the middle of nowhere. I'm like on, I want to say almost an acre of land for like 250, which is pretty crazy. I think that area is actually selling for like $700,000 now, which is insane. Austin, do you have something going on there? I feel like- No, no, little, that's a different little burn. You're talking about the one in Sudbury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Continue on, Jeremy. Yeah, so basically we, uh, when we were looking back, uh, I was talking to my parents, I'm like, why don't we just buy this two houses? I mean, even at the time I was making a decent amount of money. I was actually working- uh, uh, in in a telecommunications industry. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll just buy a house in South Windsor. The funny thing was the house that I basically grew up in and the house next door, uh, which I knew the family very, very well, was actually in a, um, it was a bank home. And it was $148,000. And I'm like, well, maybe I should just buy this house. And then, you know, the part of me was going, well, what happens if I get into real estate? Because you never know. I mean, this is, this is Windsor t- circa 2016, pre like boom, right? what if I don't make the amount of money I need to make? Or what if I, my real estate career doesn't take off? I'm going to be stuck with this house, right? And you know, I'm 24, 25 years old. What am I going to need a you know, $150,000 house for? And now it's like, buy $150,000 houses for, because you can, right? <laughs> if, you hear, if, you, if you hear a house in winter for 150, you just buy it. You don't even ask questions, buy it. Mm-hmm. But now, but back then it was a different story, right? So when you're asking me, well, what, what, were, we, what were we thinking? Well, the house we had was, Went from three hundred thousand to five hundred thousand in the Port Perry area, whereas we could pick up the house that we grew up in for a hundred, you know, even a nice one for one hundred eighty thousand, two hundred thousand dollars, like two hundred thousand. So I told my parents, I'm like, why wouldn't you just buy two houses, spend four hundred thousand, you're still banking one hundred fifty grand? Like it was, it was a joke at the time, right? I mean, there were still houses that you could pick up in some of the, the junkier areas for forty, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars. I mean, that when I first, my, one of my first sales in Windsor uh, was in the villages, which I actually just bought a house in the villages for 235, which is like 70,000 under market value. But back then, you could pick up a house in the villages like on the MLS, not off market, but on the MLS for $40,000. Now, I actually payment. just, <laughs> no, yeah, $40,000. Yeah. I just set a record there two months ago for $430,000. Which then got beat a week later for four fifty seven. So so let's talk about this journey a little bit because I'm curious. So, I mean, I really came into winter in 2019. Austin was in mm-hmm. there well before 2018. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what was what was the reason that there was such suppressed price, like depressed prices or or whatever you want to call it? Like there was no price adjustments from like. 08, like onwards. So, so we know obviously the 08 financial crisis, the impact that it had yeah. on the car manufacturers. But while the rest of Canada or Ontario was growing at a pretty high rate from maybe 2012 to 2016, why was Windsor essentially staying flat? I, I don't think the rest of Ontario or uh, Southwestern Ontario was really growing as, as fast as everywhere right. else. I think basically Toronto and the Toronto and the GTA, the Durham region area, uh, well, well, let's start with the GTA first. That area just blew up way too quickly. And I mean, they, they were supposedly in a bubble for like the last, what, 11, 12 years now, right? Mm-hmm. Every year it was, oh, the, the market's going to dip. The market's going to dip. The market never dipped. So people, and especially when we were listing our house back in 2015, 2016, we had people calling us, go, oh, you know, we're, my, this, my client's moving down to Port Perry from Toronto and they're going to commute two hours because they can't afford to live in Toronto. Now they're commuting to from little, you know, in, in, into uh, uh, the Kawartha Lakes area, and they're going everywhere else, right? So I just think that people started pushing elsewhere, and those areas started going up in price point, right? And then people started looking uh, more elsewhere. Windsor, though, even prior to us moving back there, they were really starting to market themselves as a retirement area. 
um, as uh, we have a website called Retire Here, uh, which is basically called the uh, nickname the Hundred Mile Peninsula, which is you know just a lot of shorelines and why you should move and retire to Windsor. So a lot of people from the Toronto area, some of my first clientele were retirees moving to the area because they were selling their house in Toronto for you know their condo for eight hundred thousand dollars and going okay, well I can buy a really nice house on the water. For three, four hundred thousand dollars, a beautiful house. Retire yeah. here. The weather's great. Drive to Detroit. Have all my shopping. I have the the, the Red Wings hockey team. We have the the Detroit Lions, the Detroit Tigers. Uh, we have a great airport. We can fly to Arizona. So anyone that wants to live that uh, take off and leave lifestyle, you can do it within twenty minutes. You know, I mean, the the airport's literally from my house, maybe twenty five minutes away. Yeah. So across the border is like a 10 minute drive, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this is where people go. They're like, oh, I'll just fly to Toronto. It's like, man, I can fly to Detroit and pay half the price. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's just one of those things that the weather here is really great. I mean, that's one of the cool things about us is that we actually, uh, I was told we align with Northern California, which is, a, which is pretty crazy thing, but we're the most Southern tip of Canada. The weather here is basically second to none and cross, cross the border. I remember having to like go outside and shovel like a, and make a big six foot um, bluff like of a snow pile when I was uh, having to shovel the driveway when I was living in Port Perry and Windsor, man, I, I don't have to shovel nothing. Like we'll get, don't get me wrong. We get snow down here, but like, we're not getting six feet of snow. We're yeah. not, we're getting like maybe a foot of snow, you know what I mean? So it's the weather's way better down here. Uh, it still gets cold, but I mean, we're still Canada, right? Just the lifestyle is better out here. We have everything that Toronto has in the sense of like the stores. I mean, if you want luxury stores, Somerset Mall in Detroit is only like 20, 30 minutes away. And the funny thing about Toronto is Toronto is an hour away from Toronto. Windsor, you can be across the whole city within like 20 minutes, less than cross the border. And in Detroit, it's easy to move around with. They got all the sports teams. They got everything that you would want and, and have in Toronto. And at, at a fraction, like one third of the price point. Why wouldn't you want to move down here? Mm-hmm. So a lot of appealing points um, as to why a lot of retirees will move down to Windsor, right? Um, but yeah. now nowadays, it's, it's really, yeah, it's investing. So like a lot of sure. the growth is facilitated by investors, not only in, in Windsor, but Southwestern Ontario as a whole. There's a lot of investor activity going down there, right? Absolutely. And you yeah. work very closely with investors, some, some big multifamily investors I know as well. Um, mm-hmm. What do... What do people see in Windsor? What's what's facilitating its growth? Because I think that's probably the market that I wouldn't say blew up first, but definitely appreciated at quite an aggressive pace that no one could have foreseen coming. Yeah. The reason why I mentioned that prior is because that actually plays a, a big part in the role as well. And with especially uh, with a lot of the General Moore's workers and people that left because there's no jobs in Windsor pre... pre uh, and you were asking why Windsor kind of... Slack. We were the first to go in the recession, the last to exit the recession there. So it was just a perfect storm of all the investors coming down here because we were cheap. It was, I mean, where else can you buy a house for $40,000 in an area that economically makes sense? And that's a big thing that people, I, I don't think are, are looking at, even a lot of the, the rookie investors and a lot of the investors I do talk with, I ask them like, why are you investing in Windsor? And they usually say, well, I'm either investing in Windsor or Sudbury right now. Sudbury seems to be a, a big option. For a lot of people and i ask them why and they always go well it's cheap i'm like well are you looking at what the economy is doing what's going on there what's the investments going on why people move down the windsor i mean yeah it's, it, it was it was honestly just it was just cheap i i, I still had people come down go well, it's four or five hours away now it's just where can i get the best bang for my buck and i think windsor has that there's so much opportunity with detroit that it creates a really good opportunity because basically the, the micros here, the macros here are amazing. I don't think you'll get that for the price, like the, for the bang of the buck, you're going to get anywhere else. Uh, and then when it comes to in, investing in general right now, there's just so much opportunity to still be able to uh, buy a property, renovate it, refinance and cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. There's one thing you said there. I think the the Windsor versus Sudbury discussion. I think both of them are very different markets. I think people yeah, sometimes I believe go, so. They they compare the two. That's like almost comparing Windsor and London, right? Like that's the, just mm-hmm. not apples to apples comparisons, right? No. Um, I, I personally believe that Windsor 
um, has stronger fundamentals mm-hmm. than Sudbury, but Sudbury is a great market as well. It's just weaker For fundamentals, sure. higher cash flow, different trade-off, right? So absolutely. Uh, so, so let's talk about what's going on right now in the Windsor market. Like, what are you guys seeing in the market today in Windsor? Um, how has that changed over the last like six months? Let's say because we know like a year ago that everything was messed up, things were dirt cheap. That was everywhere across Ontario, anyways. For sure. Uh, you know, COVID deals and those are kind of done now. So what are we dealing with in today's market? Bidding wars or, you know, what's the price at? Can you still get things on conditions? What do you, where do you, where do you see that? To be honest with you, as of today, as of what we're talking about, um, I think it's actually a really easy way to enter the market right now, to be honest with you. Uh, I haven't seen this shift in the market since I first started. I mean, it's it's definitely a uh, an interesting time to say the least. I think that it's a great opportunity find an opportunity for investors to hop in right now because I think that too many people watch and they wait and they wait for things to pick back up before they hop into the market because they want safety net. I think you just got to be ballsy and go right in for it. I think it's a kind of a dip in the market right now. The prices, don't get me wrong, the prices haven't dipped yet. Uh, The market's still very, very strong. But instead of you having to compete against 20 other offers, you may be just competing by yourself. It is a wonky time, and don't get me wrong. It's very frustrating right now, even as a realtor, because I'm 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 actually dealing with a client right now where we we tossed in an offer yesterday. The house was listed at two fifty for about a month and a half, almost two months now. It's been on the market. We offered a starting offer at two seventy five, conditional. No other offers in two seventy five. Already twenty five thousand dollars over ask. The agent calls me back and goes. Yeah, we had an offer at 300 that we we denied and we Whoa. want 300 like mid threes. But they're listed for 250 mm. with not holding off on offers. Like I understand, we everyone knows they holding off for a week game. Yeah. Agents are just saying, "You know what? Screw it. I'm just going to keep my property price at some ridiculous number just so people call me at this point." I have I've had some great agents give me a call and say, "Hey, I have this property in Ford City. It's been sitting for a bit. My clients are really motivated." We're asking 250 or whatever we're asking for right now. Bring me an offer. Let's, let's work with it. Let's work with it, right? So we're starting to see those calls happening. And it's not just one or two agents calling me up. I've probably had maybe 10, 12 conversations with different uh, agents saying, hey, what do, you have for my pro- what do you have for my property? I have this property. I'm doing the same thing. I have, I have a couple of properties sitting right now. Let's, let's have a conversation. What is your, who's, your, who's your buyers? What do they need? Here's my buyers. Here's what they need. What do we have? What can we, what can we do? Talk to me about your properties. That's what we're, that's, that's the conversations we're having now. It's no longer the, oh, the property is going to sit on the market for you know a week and sell over ask. And you know, my clients are going to get $200,000 over ask, even though we were priced 200000 under what it should have been worth. Now it's becoming scary for some, some realtors because they've never seen this market before. They've never, they just usually, you know, put up a property. It's always oh, sold. Now I look good, right? So Things are changing. I mean, even, but don't get me wrong. Here's the market is interesting right now, as I mentioned, because the 800,000 plus market is insane. It's on fire right now. I'm trying to help my parents buy a, a townhome or a single family house. House was listed for like five ninety nine. Uh, we wrote $880,000 and against oh. 10 other offers and we lost, right? But that's just an entry level house. I mean, not an entry level house, but here's the thing. An average house in Windsor, right? We'll say it's South Windsor, right? So we have South Windsor. The thing about it is, is those houses now are pushing half a million dollars, right? So when you have, when you want a nicer house than your basic 900 to 1,000 square foot South Windsor bungalow, and you're raising a family, the next step is either a raised ranch or a larger bungalow or a two-story house. But those two-story houses or raised ranches are now starting at mid 800,000 or more, depending on square footage. So if you want a 15, 16, 17 or square foot above grade house, you're paying mid eights at least, right? If you want 2,000 square feet, you could be paying almost a million dollars. And that's not including if you want waterfront, if you want this, waterfront properties right now is like two, $3 million for a nice located area. And they're selling, they're selling quickly. Russell Woods neighborhood, one of the most affluent neighborhoods in Windsor, nothing lasts more than a week. And regardless of what it lists for. It looks like uh, investor activity is slowing down for the most part then, right? Because Invest, like- I would say the under $500,000 market right now is really slow. Mm. It, it's it's taken a hit um, because a lot of those properties have been propped up by investors because they just want it against the market. I'm going to be bought out. I'm gonna, I need to get in this market. I need to get in this market. I think COVID still has a lot to play with it. Obviously, people got bored. Uh, I think now with <laughs> this is what, here's where I think we're at right now. And this is just 
Um, my personal opinion, I think that we're in the midsummer stage three is, is, is just about to open up. People are starting to travel now. They want to get out. They want to move along. They've put their real estate aside or they said, you know what? I'm going to spend a lot of money on my house and not move this year. So I think that a lot of the buyers have taken a back seat at the moment. It's yeah. the same thing that we see in November or December, usually every year where people say, oh, you know, it's almost Christmas. I'm going to slow down. And usually that was always the best time to buy because there's less people working. I think that we're in the middle of summer. I think people should be taking advantage of this opportunity because it, it could definitely be a blessing for them because it's definitely a slower time right now. Yeah. Myself and I were both literally talking like a week ago and we were like, are you seeing what's happening in Windsor? Like these, some of these prices were like, okay, like, is this guy just trying to get like bid up like 200 K or is this actually like a crazy freaking deal? And so we're watching it. And I think a lot of investors um, have turned their eye toward like away, away from Windsor. And it's just like, I don't know if everyone knows what's going on. I think you're right. Like, like there's, there's potential back there in my opinion, but um, let's go back a year. Ago. Yeah. Let, let's go back a year really quickly. We weren't really having that Sudbury discussion. Now we're having that Sudbury discussion prior to last year, it was all Windsor and only Windsor. Right. And now we're kind of like that London area where, you know, London was kind of like, Oh man, now we got to watch out for Windsor. It's going yeah. back a couple of years. Now that Windsor's like, Oh my God, we got to watch out for Sudbury kind of thing. So I think that's kind of what that conversation we're having right now. And Prior to, I was some clients maybe three, four, five months ago. You're not going to get a pro. You're nine times out of ten, you're not going to get a conditional offer. You're going to have to go cash, no conditions. By cash, it's just you know, just no conditions in general. Um, and you can't buy a house for under three hundred thousand in this market right now. It's, it's crazy. Now I'm starting to see more stuff. The properties are sitting areas in the West End and pockets of the West End you can get for around two fifty. There is areas you can get for like three hundred thousand, and these are with conditions now. Conditions are are back. For the most part, and don't get me wrong, there's still going to be multiple offers. Don't expect to not compete, but there's a good chance that you can find yourself a good deal. Do your due diligence where normally you'd have to rush through and do a pre-inspection and pray that you get the property. Now you can come in with your mortgage condition for a week, your inspection condition, knock all it out, buy the, and if the property makes sense, buy it. There's opportunities here. So Jeremy, does a bird work in, in Windsor now? Why wouldn't it? A brewer work anywhere as long yeah. as you're as long as you do your numbers, as long as you do your due diligence and understand what you're buying, understand where you're buying, and understand your comparables. But can you buy uh, based bur- on can you buy a burr based on comparables in today's market, or do you kind of have to say like I'm buying at two fifty because I think a single family house will be at three fifty four months down the road, or are there enough comparables on both sides where it's a flat enough market that you can buy a burr in today's market? Here's the thing. There's actually a property uh, as we speak right now that I just I haven't looked at it myself, but it's 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 on the market. I want to say in South Windsor for three ninety nine. It's a beautiful ranch. Um, needs a lot of work, full renovated, right? But if you were to sink sixty thousand dollars into this property, seventy five thousand into this property, being for say four seventy five, and you make it look beautiful, there's comparables in South Windsor selling for five fifty, you know, or more, right? Six hundred thousand dollars. Some of it's pushing too, but let's just say five fifty. That's still a decent enough burr that you're able to not, you're not going to, I mean, we're not going to talk about a perfect burr because yeah, those yeah. are, you know, you know rarer right. properties. Yeah. But if you can keep 10% in the property, that's still pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're, they're on the market and they're sitting. Mm-hmm. If you do your due diligence and you work with your realtor and you, you know what you're buying, like I said, you know your costs, the costs associated with what you're doing. It's not hard to do. I mean, there's, we were doing burrs when the market was insane and you had to compete against I mean, we got a property on Peary there a while back and that, and that property, we competed, I think, with 12 other offers. Yeah. yeah. And that was a perfect word. Yeah, that's a perfect word, plus more money. <laughs> that's a so sweet deal. Yeah. To, that's what I'm trying to say is anything is possible. It's, it's what, what kind of product are you buying and what are your, who do you, who's your power team and how, how is the renovations going to go? Like, do you know your numbers? Because I mean, if you're buying a property for the sake of buying a property, you're not going to get the, you're not going to get the results you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So what I want to ask next is a bit about rent uh, around the area. So prices have went up dramatically and my observation might be incorrect. It probably is incorrect. I didn't see rent rolls increase significantly since I started investing or like it hasn't changed that drastically from 2019 or like early 2020. About the same, although prices have lifted up. So what have you been seeing things like a three bedroom renting out for 
or like a two bedroom and a duplex? I think you're wrong, actually, to be honest with you. I've been having a lot of conversations with some friends, actually some friends that have recently started renting. And we were having a conversation where one of my friends, who is an investor himself, was renting actually a unit in my building um, and then bought a property and started working on that property and then actually moved back into renting. Um, we were trying to find a property for him for around $2,000 to $2,500 a month, uh, a condo, right? I mean, mm-hmm. to, to say the least there, right? But Last year, that condo that was $2,500 a month was like $2,200 or even $2,000 a month. I've, I'm talking to people right now. They're saying that they're getting a three-bedroom, uh, three-bedroom, one-bath, or three-bedroom, two-bath, and they're getting $2,000 a month where you know last year we were renting that out for $1,700 a month. So I think it has increased. I think it comes down to the quality of the property, the location of the property. Areas uh, like the West End are still not very strong. Um, areas like South Windsor right now, I think have jumped up significantly. Houses were originally $2,000 a month. I think I've seen some of them rent out as, as high as $2,500 a month for a full house. Um, I think duplexes right now, I, I was talking to some investors, they're saying that they're renting out a two bedroom duplex for 1600 plus utilities, which is nuts. I think that we're starting to see a lot of people renting out for higher numbers but we, we haven't had those conversations because obviously COVID we're not doing the networking as much. And a lot of these investors aren't really mentioning to other people what they're getting unless you have a conversation with them. So normally I would say, you know, three bedroom, one bath. I think it's fairly, fairly fair to say, you know, 17, $1,800 a month, but there is a lot of people getting almost 2000 bucks a month now for those properties. Once again, area permitting, right? East Windsor or, you know, Walker, Walkerville locations, um, even more it depends on, it all depends on location because that three bedroom, one bath in South Windsor is going to push almost 2,200 bucks, 2,300 bucks. Yeah. Those rents are pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so 2,000 for a single family. I, I, I've seen it happen now. I, we're starting mm-hmm. to see it happen. Don't get me wrong. I, these investors are just telling me that's what they're getting, right? How their tenants are going to be in six months is a, is a complete different story, right? Yeah. So we haven't taken that to effect yet. But I think for the most part, we can all say we our prices lag behind about a year versus the rents. Going back into 2018, when our house prices first really started going up, our rents were only going up 50, 100 bucks when our house prices were going up 50, 60, 70, 80 thousand dollars, right? Or more. Um, if that if it went up. So I think we're I I don't think we've fully experienced mm-hmm. the changeover yet. Mm-hmm. Um, because our house prices have gone up almost, I think about 150,000 from last year. So that would mean that an increase, you would have to increase the rents by what? 150 bucks, 200 bucks, something like that. I think we're getting it now, but I don't think it's as normal because I think a lot of people are still renting the properties out are still have purchased it prior to the huge rent increases. When people are starting to purchase it now, they have to charge those months. Those rents have to be, have to be charged now. There's no choice because they're buying a property. At, you know, uh, rent, uh, there's investors in South Windsor buying for it for five fifty. I mean, how, you can't rent that house out for seventeen hundred bucks. You're not gonna make any money. Yeah, yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. And I think that we can dive into some of your investing journey right now, right? Because I know that you're still buying houses and you've been investing for quite a bit in Windsor, right? So can we dig a bit into your investment journey? Like, what was your first property in Windsor? And what was your strategy? How do you go about it? And what are you looking into now in terms of investment properties? Uh, good question. I mean, uh, my first property, actually, um, we, we kind of like flip-flopped around the condo idea for the longest time there. Um, but I took the biggest, I would say, leap last year um, and really got into my first foray into like my actual investing. Um, and I went nuts last year. Um, <laughs> give you an idea i bought my first i would say true investment property in august of last year i bought that was a duplex downtown for 210 we're in the process right now of turning to an airbnb we had a a tenant that we inherited that took us about uh nine months to get rid of uh full gut on the unit right now we fully gutted the main floor and that one to give you an idea uh we're in the process so once we're done having that refinance with proper comps for almost 450. Um, yeah, so it's pretty good. And then that one on Airbnb, having talked with some Airbnb people, 
shouldness around uh, with 16 days of usage should be around 3000 bucks. If we get anything more, we can probably push up to about $4,000 uh, a month. I think, uh, no, for both, for the whole building, okay. which is really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we should be cash flowing probably close to a thousand after we refinance, which is really, really good. The next property I bought was my condo. I bought that one. Uh, these are all off market for the most part. I bought my condo for 165. That one's now worth 300,000. I put 25,000 into renovations and most of it myself. Brought in a couple of handymen from my, con- from my contracting company. And then uh, just to do some of the things that I couldn't do. And um, yeah, we r- ran with that one. So that condo's 165. I'm in for maybe let's say 200,000. It's worth about 300,000 now. Uh, I picked that one up in August as well. Also in August of last year, I picked up a flip and uh, just, just uh, this outside of South Windsor, bought it for 155 from a wholesaler. Um, I helped the wholesaler out a lot, though. don't get me wrong. I, it was a brand new wholesaler, basically had to do all the paperwork myself on for the most part, right? Uh, but we picked it up for 155. He did all the work. Uh, I, I don't talk to sellers. I, as a realtor, I can't, right? I can't have that conversation. So everything is done when it comes to wholesalers by the professionals. I leave it to, that, to them to do their job. That's what they're, they're good at. And basically, my goal on that one was actually to sell for three twenty-five. Um, we did about seventy thousand in renovations. The market speculated so much that we actually sold it for four eighteen five to, uh, last month. We actually just closed nice. on it a couple of days ago. So I made about a quarter of a million on that property. Yeah, Jeremy's running around in some dough. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we made about a quarter of a million on that property there. Uh, and then um, what was next? What else did we pick up? Um, that was probably. It was at the last one for last year. I think that was the last one for last year. And then just recently, I picked up a house, in, uh, another flip in Essex. Uh, so it's just, this one's uh, just about 20 minutes outside of Windsor. Great neighborhood, booming area right now. Um, I actually got parents live in Essex. And we picked that one up uh, from a wholesaler for 255 or 250, I think, 250. And, uh, that one should be about with our with our contractor. I think we're we've figured about three thousand dollars worth of renovations. The house in front of us just sold for four fifty. Damn. And then <laughs> then I just so then, uh, then the last property I just picked up actually. So we, me and my partner um, Graham Thompson, who runs Thompson Asset Management, there we just picked up one in East Windsor. Um, this was a. Uh, a lot of issues uh, on closing. We, uh, I cannot stress how much it, you need to have an A team. Um, we, this one right here, I, I, I apologize to the wholesaler and hopefully he listens to this and understands. I apologize to him. Uh, we switched our lender because we ended up getting a really good rate. By a really good rate, I'm telling you, I had a conversation with this guy that I was referred to by a few other investors. I got a rate for a post ARV at 66% LT loan to value, right? only putting $20,000 down and we were going to borrow 280,000 bucks to do this whole renovation off of $20,000. He gave us a rate of like 6.78%. Uh, and then I think another 1% for lending fee. So it's going to be like almost less than 8% for a pretty much. Full funding. 20, 20, yeah. Like $20,000 $20, down. Right. And obviously it sounds too good to be true, but this guy's like, the, the stuff made sense. It looked legit. Right. And shit hit the fan very, very quickly when we went close. Money was never there, no lawyers, no nothing. And we're like, oh my God. So I had to call up uh, one of my, my the, the guy I used for my, my Turner flip there. And we got the financing in a week. So we're going to hopefully close on this one. Uh, but yeah, we picked it up. I think about the last one on the market was like $305,000 on the MLS. It's the lowest sale price in the neighborhood was three hundred five. dollars When the highest was four fifty seven. dollars we bought it for two thirty-five. Wow! Um, with our company there, we can go in there and renovate it for. We're not going to pay ourselves. Not going to take anything out of it. No, no commissions, no nothing. Right? Uh, we should hopefully make another, you know, six figures off that property as well. If we get four thirty, we're laughing. I mean, we're going to be in for two eighty on the say from start to finish, right? So, I mean, it all comes down to the numbers. And these are all properties I've bought within the last six, uh, last last one year. Mm-hmm. So when people are saying, "Oh, there's no, there's no, there's no deals, there's no, uh, there's no markets," I mean, my clients ask me, "Oh, Jeremy, I saw you bought this." I'm like, "Yeah, but, but can you find that for me?" I'm like, mm, "I'll buy it first, but I'm sorry, <laughs> it's, it, it, if a deal comes up that's too good to be true, you, you just gotta pull the." And this is what I think that separates a lot of good investors 
I don't, I would say good investors. I would say just ballsy investors. As I mentioned, I've, I've spent a lot of years learning from people like yourself, learning from other investors and seeing what they're doing. I, I've learned a lot of things and that's what got me into a good position to do what I wanted to do. I told myself last year that I, I wanted to go really ballsy and I'm just throwing out things. If, if the property makes sense, um, the last property we bought, we bought sight unseen. We got for a, a, a price that reflected buying it sight unseen as well, right? But I think that there's a lot of investors that have to take their time. They have to go through the process and they're like, I want that deal. But let me get back to you in a week. I've had that happen. Or they go, I presented them with a deal and they go, well, um, I want it for less. Mm-hmm. When you start pulling stuff like that, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get the results. You're overthinking. You're starting to, if the numbers make sense, pull the trigger. You have to, you can't. In this market, if I, if I would have lost in those properties, those properties netted me almost $700,000 in equity, just in equity in the last 12 months. They don't have to go up in value anymore. I, mm-hmm. they, at that point, they can pay themselves off. And I got almost you know, a million and a half in real estate. Yeah, I think right? so a, a lot of new investors, they focus on the $5,000, $3,000 issues that are like, oh, like, I don't want it for two sixty five. I want it for two sixty. It's just like, fuck, like, if it's a good deal, just like take it and move on. Like, it's not going to impact your numbers significantly, right? Um, the issue is they're, they're taught to negotiate everything, which is like, I get it, but like, that's not always the right strategy, right? Like if yeah. you negotiate everything, you can piss a lot of people off and lose on on opportunities that would have made you money otherwise. Yeah. Focus on the bigger wins, right? Like the overall so, of like what you're trying to do. My, my, uh, my wholesale deal with the, the one in Essex there, I actually called up the, uh, like I was talking with the wholesaler one day and they, they let it slip that they had this property come to market. I said, well, I have clients for you on this property. I said, if it's the right price, I said, you let me know what you want for it. You let me know, name the price. They named the price. I, I looked at it, spent maybe 30 minutes. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna do it myself. So we, I bought it, I just, I just bought it. That, I bought it that, that day, signed the paperwork that day. Um, and like you, you know, we, we, I was able to drive by and kind of get, get an idea of what it looked like. And that was it. That was, that was my, my thing. Same thing with the one in East Windsor that we're able to do a football in there. I uh, bought that one fan scene. I, don't, I got pictures of it. It looked like a piece of crap. I said, okay, well, what can we do with this? What's the worst case scenario? We, in our head, we're figuring out what's the worst case scenario. That's how you're going to, people want a deal, but they don't want to take the risks to get the deal. And that's unfortunately, it's ballsy, right? Yeah, but that's how many times were you guys ballsy and, and how, how has it paid off, yeah. right? So you got to look at it that way. And that's, I don't, I don't think a lot of people are, yeah, I think you're right with, you know, the negotiating the $5,000 thing. Um, I, I want to say Jacob Perez taught me this about uh, three years ago. Um, he goes, what's $10,000? Um, he goes, why are you going to lose a property over $10,000? On, on a mortgage, that is like minuscule. What was it? 50 bucks a month, if that. I think you're a mortgage agent now, right? Yeah, it's yeah. nothing. 10000 bucks is nothing. Yeah. yeah. So, Jeremy, before, before we run out of time, I just want to add soft mm-hmm. to talk about uh, the micro market. So, so, Windsor as a market... Um, where do you see the most potential for maybe the next, within the next like five years, let's call it. Right. So where do you Good question. investors come in and invest in and like what type of properties you recommend and stuff like that? Here's the thing. Uh, we'll go quickly through a lot of this stuff here. A lot of investment coming into Windsor, Windsor in general. This is what you need to know here. Uh, we got the new Gordie Howe bridge going up there. I suppose they'll be done in the next couple of years. But what a lot of people don't realize is that that's going to give you six lanes. Plus, with the already two lanes we have in the Ambassador Bridge and the two lanes we have in the tunnel, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Ambassador is actually scheduled to be uh, is scheduled to be re um, t- torn down and rebuilt as the new. Sorry, sorry the audio. Oh, sorry about that. Am I? Yeah. Uh, I no, you're good, you're good. It's okay. So, anyways, I well, I don't know where I left off at it. Anyways, we'll go back really quickly here. So we got the the new Gordie Howe Bridge, six lanes. Ambassador Bridge, two lanes, tunnel two, two lanes. The Ambassador Bridge, they've gotten approval to build a new Ambassador Bridge, six lanes as well. So we're going to eventually have 12 lanes plus additional two-lane tunnel, right? There's going to be a lot of logistics. And people need to look at the logistic companies that come, are coming in currently. On top of the, we have, Ottawa uh, wants to uh, phase out electric car, uh, uh, gas cars in the next, by 2035, Right. Well, GM, Fords, and Chrysler, you remember, Windsor's right next to the big three, or the, the, the Detroit three there. There's almost $100 billion they've committed. I think each company's about 30 to $35 billion a piece into EVs, 
And a lot of those EVs are going to be built in the Detroit Hamtramck or that kind of area, right? Which is only 15 minutes outside of Windsor. I have a lot of clientele that work for, you know, the, the Fords of Chrysler's a gym. A lot of Windsor people work in the automotive, the logistics, the engineering. They were even a lot of the nurses, the doctors, right? There's people forget and realize that Windsor is still a very, very border city. And you're going to start seeing a lot more of those American companies coming over to Windsor with a lot of that, uh, well, a lot of, uh, lot of opportunity here because they see the opportunity. Um, Rock Financial, uh, Rock uh, uh, Development and uh, Edison Financial, which I think is owned by Dan Gilbert, who is uh, in Cavaliers, right? He's already coming to Windsor. They're, 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 they're looking to expand too, supposedly. So that's what you need to know. Uh, Drew Dilkins, the current mayor, says it's not going to be him. It's probably not going to be the next mayor. But the mayor after him is going to have to learn, have to figure out a plan to revitalize and redevelop downtown. And there's, he thinks there's going to be a lot of expropriation where they're going to see he's going to have to buy land up and redevelop in that land. So in the next, it could be the next five years, the next 15 years, Windsor's got a lot of opportunity and it's going to be drastically changing over the next, you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, so when you're asking what do I think is a good opportunity to buy right now? We have to look at what's going on. And I, I think it comes down to land. You, you, there's still a lot of land in Windsor. You buy 50, 60, 70 foot lots, right? Uh, with houses on them. Maybe rent up the house for a little bit. But those are going to be development places in the future where you can actually take that 70 foot piece of land and turn that into a multifamily. I think multifamily is a new development game. I mean, single family doesn't make sense for me anymore. I will never probably buy another single family house unless I'm flipping it. It doesn't make sense for me at all. As an investor, it doesn't. It doesn't there's, no, there's no money in it. Condo, same thing. There's no money in it. Why, why buy a condo? It comes down to multifamily. Buy, me buy land. The city wants infill. They want to be able to have that come in there. They will work with you. If you buy the right locations, to buy the right size of land, I think there's going to be a lot of land development. We're already seeing in Ottawa. We're seeing in Toronto. We're seeing in London now. I think that's going to be the game plan here. And you can still buy these lots fairly, fairly cheap compared to like anywhere else. And some of these lands, if you can buy it, I mean, there's houses in South Windsor that I've seen lots as goes a 120 foot lot. You could almost build like two, two, uh, fourplexes on that, eight, eight pumps. <laughs> I don't know how you know I mean? would feel about your fourplexes. <laughs> um, so that's, I think that's the name of the game there. I think there's still a lot of opportunity for, for people starting off to get into duplexes. I mean, you can buy, probably buy a, a, a starter duplex for, you know, 350, 400,000 bucks, which is still cheaper than anywhere else. And you're in a cash flow, which is great. But I think it's going to be coming. I think it's going to be development. Game. We're already starting to see the developers circle around. We have so many condos and to give you an idea, Windsor was not a condo city three, three years ago, four years ago. They're building condos nonstop. They're building apartment buildings nonstop. Uh, the influx of people moving down here. We got to realize that once the borders open, how many people are going to flock to Canada, if not flock to Ontario, and if not flock to Windsor, even if I think there's supposed to be like 2 million people over the next course of like five or so years like that, moving down to Canada and Ontario, even if we get like 10% of that or even 5% of that, you're, the numbers are still 30, 40,000 people. Yeah. Let me ask you this uh, quickly before we move into our final Yeah, question. absolutely. Uh, what's going on with the university and the student rental market? I think I think right now is an opportunity to play because people, like I said, are, are they, they, they wait. They wait for them to get the green light. Everyone's waiting for the green light. I mean, here's the thing. Universities are built on the culture, right? Universities, they can't shut down. I mean, uh, uh, this is his personal opinion here. They can't shut down because what will separate them from anywhere else, right? Um, so they're coming down here. The international students are coming in. There's, they're, they're finding ways to come in. Uh, we've already had conversations. Classes are going to be here. I mean, eventually, I, I, are you going to wait for September? It could be September. It could be January by the time they open up. Who knows, right? The ideology is that the universities will open up eventually. Uh, I mean, we're already, we're, we're already almost fully vaxxed in Ontario or in Canada, right? So, I mean, it's got to open up at some point. So when it does, you're going to see all those investors that were on the sidelines rushing in because Windsor, pre-COVID, the university was the hottest market in the area. Now it's the coldest market because everyone wants to wait and everyone waits for somebody else to make the first move. And if you're not making the first move, then you're going to regret it when everything opens back up. I just had a client pick up a property backing onto the University of Windsor for $340,000. I think she's not knocking about $30,000 in renovations. So she'll be in for 370. 
for a property backing onto the university, five bedrooms, two baths. Like, come on. That, that, yeah, that, that would have been over half a million before, right? <laughs> that, that's the thing. I mean, if you want to go with the university right now, look at the sale prices. There's land. People are buying 50-foot lots. And they're like, oh, well, how, how is this house that's burned down with a 50-foot lot selling for half a million dollars? It's developers. The developers don't care about COVID. They know what they're doing. They're buying the lands while everyone else is waiting off. And then once people start seeing, oh, man, these, these people are doing these developments, the market's just going to fly back up again. It's happening. People are still buying university properties and they're getting a great discount on it right now. And, the, and half the time they're already, they're still rented. The properties are still rented. If you get a vacant, congratulations. Now you can set your own rents. There, you, and you will, have, you will have it rented out. Keyword, you will have it rented out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of, yes, there's a discount in rents right now, but the good thing about the student the rents population- change. The rents yeah. haven't changed. Oh, really? So it's still around six, no. seven, 600 plus a bedroom. Absolutely. I mean, mm. a student rental, one of the student rental guys that was on a pod, I was on a, on a Facebook live the other day talking about what he was getting for rent during COVID $700 mm -hmm. a month, obviously nicer properties. All right. You're, you're, you're the slum, the slum looking houses aren't going to get $700. You're going to get $500. But I mean, it, with a little bit of, you know, TLC and uh, making it look good, you can get $600 a room right now and they're renting out within a couple of weeks. Yeah. So the ratios definitely still do make sense in student rentals. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. I wouldn't buy a single family house unless it was a student rental because those things cash flow look multifamilies. Absolutely. It's a great opportunity. I actually had, we, I, I just had a conversation with a, a guy at the university and for a company there, I think he goes, I have 12 kids right now that will rent your rooms. 12 kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the school, phenomenal. yeah, that, that, that's yeah. a guy that works at the school is time this because I'll, we'll rent your rooms. You give me, you give us the properties, we'll rent those rooms. So this is COVID, like supposedly COVID. People are renting out. You, you can't be scared. That's the, the name of the game is um, scared money make no money, right? It's if you're going to wait on the sidelines, you're going to come in, you're going to buy at the highest point, and you're going you're to wait for everyone else to make the first move, right? You have to make the first move. And I think you, right now is a great opportunity, I think, for any investor, regardless, because it's slow. It's very, very slow right now. Um, don't get me wrong. There's still multiple offers, but it's definitely a great time and a great, definitely a great opportunity to, to have a look. You need to have a look in because conditions, for the most part, are bad. You, you're going to pay the regular price, but now you're getting conditions, which will make it that much more worthwhile. Gotcha. All right, Jeremy. So that was a great episode. Um, takes us into kind of the last few questions that we'd like to ask our guests. Sure. So the first question is where are we going to be seeing you five years from now? Oh, okay. Okay. Five years. Uh, great question. What are you going to be doing? What are you going to like? Yeah. In a perfect world, I would love to have my team. I, I think I'm starting to go into the, uh, create the real estate team there, which will allow me to focus on my uh, favorite interests. I love working with my, a lot of my clientele and I have great clientele that I love working with, but I mean, there's just so many new people I'm meeting and it's tough for me to work with everybody. So I want to be able to provide, and I've seen other agents do that really well, is build that A team myself, right? And that will allow me to pursue, obviously, my real estate interests. It allows me to produce my hobbies and uh, I can actually travel. I really, I, I, I'm going on vacation and I hate taking time off because then I can't be with my clientele, right? Or at my property. So it's one of those things where I would love to do that. Um, I would love to do a lot more flipping. I want to have a seven-figure flipping business. Um, I would love in five years. Uh, the way I'm the way I'm buying right now is I would love to add four to six plex almost every year, but I want to double that up. So I would love to have at least fifty to hundred units. And this is this is the thing. I can have more units, but I'm not really a buy and hold guy. I'm more focused on investing and flipping and. Um, possibly going a lot more into Airbnbs as well. So we're probably a lot of those buy and holds will be Airbnbs if this, if we're allowed to do it in five years. I don't know if we're going to be allowed to do it in five years. Um, that's that. I mean, this, it's just constantly um, moving money around to different things. Like I want to, for every couple of flips I do, take some of the income that we've made and use it as a down payment to buy multifamily. It's not the price point. And I, I think people get lost trying to buy what they're capped at, there's so many ways around uh, buying with unlimited power almost. So it's just buying the right properties and then go from there. And that's where my, my, my head's at. I would love to add more units. I would love to do a lot more flips. I would love to have a seven-figure 
seven figure flipping business and uh, go from there. That's awesome, man. A little bit of everything, a little bit of the buying holes, flipping. Um, you have to diversify in real estate, yep. I find. I mean, I, I honestly, if I can get enough money coming in, I would, I think the, the, the retirement plan would be, uh, would be doing a part of lending. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's with a lot of experienced investors, right? Like that's not truly most passive way to make money in real estate. Second question here is if you won $10 million and you had seven days, seven days to spend it, you can't, yeah, you can't spend it all on real estate. Like you can spend okay. some of it on real estate, but not all of it. How would you spend yeah. that money? What would I buy? Okay. So if we say we put half in real estate, I mean, if you put half as a $5 million debt down payment, that's a whole 20%, right? So at that point, you're pushing almost what $25 million in real estate. I do, do you need $25 million in real estate? I don't know. Right. Can I buy $25 million in real estate five in uh seven days. I don't know, but we got cash. So we can probably do it. Uh, that's what I would say. I would probably focus in on diversification in that sense there. I would probably keep about a million dollars, um, depending on how I play it, upgrade my, my, my living areas, um, buy a nicer house, buy a nicer car, maybe buy a Corvette. If, if I if the investing goes right by a, you know, a Rolls Royce. Um, but the, the idea would be how much is my cost of living? So if I say my cost of living is $200,000, it's cost of living, not how much I'm making. Um, spend them about a million dollars, invest the rest in nine. Stock market, heavy in the stock market right now, that's a big part of my portfolio there as well. Crypto, I think crypto is a great op- opportunity right now. So you know, if you toss up a million dollars in crypto, it could, could be worth $0 tomorrow, or it could be worth you know a lot more, tomorrow, right? Uh, I think that's a great way to hedge. Um, I would do a lot of hedges because I, I once again focus on so much on real estate. You need to have other options to hedge it off in case uh, something were to happen. Um, a lot of it would be probably in a flipping as well um, because then you get that money back. And with profit, obviously, you know, if you buy $25 million in real estate, it, you, it, I put $5 million down. If I, re, if I burr them, I'm going to get, if I get half of the back, I get two, another two and a half million dollars to buy next year or in the yeah. next 14 days or whatever, right? But I would say a mixture of just investing in general. I, I tell all my clientele and I tell all my friends, like, if you're going to buy real estate, and a lot of people are not, they're using real estate as their RSPs and their TFSAs. I think it's a bad idea. Uh, once again, I'm not a financial advisor by any means, but I definitely invest in every opportunity that I can to move the money around so that if one market goes down, hopefully the other markets stay at the same or they go up. Awesome, Jeremy. So. So our, our, our last question for you is if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would you choose and why? Dead or alive. Let's go with both. So dead, it would probably be Rockefeller. That guy owns so many companies and was such an influence on the, uh, on the, at one point he had so many companies that it was, he had the, the economy was based off his, off his influence, right? Which is crazy to think about. And I mean, we can go back and talk about even like the Rothschilds and all that kind of stuff. I think I'd be a good guy to do it. Uh, a life, I'd obviously want to know about different things there, but either or, uh, Warren Buffett. I think that's this guy's uh, amazing genius and uh, basically how he was able to buy companies. And what people fail to realize is a lot of this stuff is ad libs. You can replace houses with stock market, you can replace houses with, with, with companies, right? At the end of the day, how are you buying? And if anyone knows how to buy, it's him. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not sure how Warren Buffett would think about our investing strategy. It's probably a bit too aggressive for his eyes, but he, he is. The, the, sorry, go for it. Say, absolutely. But at the end of the day, I'd say it's, it's mostly ad libs, right? So what you're going to, what you're going to, what you're going to hear from him, you can replace and insert your own different things into it. Mm-hmm. So he's investing in the stock market, he's investing in businesses, he's investing in this, he's investing in that, right? But you're looking at the fundamentals. You're, yeah. You just want to learn the fundamentals. Once you have the fundamentals down on what he's doing and how he's buying and just the mindset that goes in it, you can take that. It's like reading a book and you can take that and move it to whatever you want to do in any place of your life. Exactly. Exactly. Great way to put it. Uh, Jeremy, it was a pleasure having you on. Thanks for um, having you're, me. Absolutely. You're always a wealth of knowledge, dude. And uh, you actually gave a lot more insight into winter that even I wasn't uh, familiar with. So, so that's phenomenal, dude. And it seems like you're crushing it in your flipping business as well. I appreciate it. It's so, so tough to talk with in just a short period of time. Like this stuff can go on for hours. Oh, I'm so sure. Much, so much knowledge to move around with. 
to involve between all of us and everyone else mm-hmm. involved. Right. But I want to thank, say thank you again for having me on here. And, uh, yeah, people want to reach out to you, man. How could they do so? Uh, absolutely. So I'm on uh, Instagram, uh, at, Jer- at Jeremy from Windsor. Uh, I'm on uh, Facebook, Jeremy McGraw. You'll see me in a lot of the groups, uh, the rise group as well. I try to post there as much as I possibly can. Uh, I'm always down to try to help people out as much as I possibly can. I don't charge anything. I don't offer mentorships. If you have a question and it takes like 10 minutes, five minutes, I can take five minutes of my time and give you the idea there. Obviously I, a lot of people will just take it and it'll go one year, not the other. But so, I mean, for the most part, if someone really wants to invest and someone really wants us to pick my brains for that, more than happy. If, if you're, if you're really willing to uh, want to learn, then I'm, I'm always willing to share as much as I know, because that's how I built my business mm-hmm. is learning from other people. I, w- I wasn't a book guy. I'm not a podcast guy. I, I, it doesn't work for me, but I've learned everything I've learned from having genuine personal, personal conversations. And the only way for me to rep- uh, you know, give that away is to get, help people as much as I possibly can. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So we're going to leave all of your links below in the show notes. Absolutely. If you guys want to reach Appreciate out to that. Jeremy, make sure to do so there. And uh, if you haven't already, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, do whatever you can to support this podcast. Because again, it helps bring great guests like Jeremy out and, and share their story. So until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all. Yeah.